Hello, Theodore. Hello. Welcome to Jude's List, the podcast. Yeah. We became connected through my friend Philip. Indeed. Yeah, and then you've become one of my life coaches. We've been working together for at least over a year now. Yeah, that's true. Which I found very helpful and very insightful. So one of the main benefits with the work that we've done together is that you've helped align my thoughts and piece together some of my challenging questions that I've had on my own, which you've helped me communicate properly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that has been a very interesting process and a huge learning curve for me. So, yeah, I really appreciate your time. And yeah, I think you're one of the best communicators I've personally met. Wow. Yeah, so that has been very interesting. Tell us about what you do and then your own personal interests. Okay, so professionally I'm a lawyer and I would consider, or most people consider me to be a a corporate lawyer. But in truth, what I am is a private client lawyer who happens to do a lot of corporate work. And let me explain. So I started off assisting high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals with intergenerational wealth transfer and various structures to support not only their businesses, but how they protect their assets from privacy or inheritance, etc. But generally, ultra-high net worth individuals would use entities, either uh, companies, foundations, trusts, to structure their wealth. So invariably, uh, doing this over time meant that I became more of a corporate specialist whilst all the time being a private client lawyer, i.e. helping wealthy individuals structure their wealth. And so I've done that for over 20 years. But I didn't always start as a lawyer for wealthy individuals. In fact, the first real legal job I got was working in a law center in England. And um, for the most part, the clients who could not afford legal fees and therefore had to be supported through legal aid. And my role was to support them with housing applications, social welfare, litigation, and so on. And then, ironically, I've transited from working with people who could barely afford legal fees to people who can afford legal fees. And that is the spectrum of legal work that I've been doing ever since, well over two decades. But in addition to that, There are other dimensions um, to my bow. And I currently run what is a family office assisting wealthy individuals uh, with intergenerational wealth transfer, but also with leadership, business strategy, governance, technology, and communication. And so that is what I've been doing for the last three years since I left my last professional role as the head of legal for Vodafone Ghana. Good stuff, good stuff. The first place I'll ask to start off is why law and how long have you been practicing? Okay, so my initial dream was to become an airline pilot. But in those days, there was a restriction on height or there was a requirement rather you needed to be at least five feet 
six inches tall to be a commercial pilot. And sadly, I never got beyond five feet, two inches tall. And so I had to look for something else. And my natural abilities were in speaking, debating, challenging, reading and curiosity. Add to that, my father was a barrister. And so I naturally gravitated to what my father did. And my mother also fancied herself as a lawyer, uh, although she studied botany and zoology. So I gravitated towards law because I loved the language, I loved arguing, debating, etc. And so that's where I ended up. And in terms of how long I've been practicing, I've been practicing for over 30 years in one guise or another and it's ranged from social welfare law to criminal law and now latterly private client corporate law in a family office yeah okay I'd want us to also touch on your current work that you're doing on your PhD program yeah on happiness Okay, so for the longest time, I've been dogged with the question, how do you find meaning in life? What is it that gives people meaning? And having read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, I was always uh, curious to know what it is that would give me meaning and for that matter, other people's meaning. And so in my curiosity and investigation, I ended up attending business school and wrote my thesis on the quest for meaning in the workplace as a lawyer and that was driven by the fact that we spend about a third of our lives at work and so if we're going to spend that time at work and some people spend a lot more time than that if we're going to spend time all that time at work about a third of our lives then it must be meaningful and ultimately it must bring you happiness or joy. The irony of this is that um, for lawyers, when you conduct your research, you find that they score lowest in the happiness stakes. And that relates to lawyers in the Commonwealth countries being Australia, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, America, Canada, particularly. And they were amongst the most miserable people. And I needed to understand why. And in fact, sadly, um, unhappiness for lawyers appeared to be a unique phenomenon amongst professionals. So when you compare them to the clergy, travel agents, architects, engineers, airline pilots, etc., they scored lowest on being happy. And yet some were being paid footballer salaries. So it wasn't the money. And in fact, what even surprised me was that partners in big law firms, up to about a quarter of partners in big law firms, were looking to jump ship. And these people were being paid millions of dollars. To do what? Do something else other than the law. You know, um, and it it still is... But back then, it was a silent crisis within the legal profession. People took to 
drink, drugs, and in fact, uh, lawyers were four times more likely than other professionals to commit suicide. When you say back then, how far are we talking? My research ended in 2010. And so that's the cutoff point. But I don't believe it has changed much. And part of the reasons why the lawyers were unhappy or miserable is because, one, um, law is pretty much a zero-sum game. I have to be right and you have to be wrong. Number two, lawyers are trained to look for the most pessimistic outcome. Because if you look for the most optimistic outcome and it doesn't go that way, you'll be in trouble. Number three, they work long hours. Number four, if you're a solicitor working in a law firm, you have billing targets. And those billing targets are driven by the partner giving you work or you going out to find work. But if you work in a highbrow law firm, you don't go out to look for work. They bring you the work. And if you have a partner who doesn't like you, he won't give you work. You won't be able to achieve your billing targets, which are very high indeed. Sometimes you need to bill as much as eight hours a day. Bill, not work, bill. So some lawyers take to pattern the amount of hours they bill. And then another phenomenon amongst lawyers was that they compare up rather than compare down. And what I mean by that is if we're two lawyers working in a law firm being paid 200, 300,000 pounds and I hear that another lawyer is being paid 310,000 pounds I'll feel cheated but 300,000 pounds is a lot of money we lose sight of that so all of these and a lot more not being able to spend time with your family because you're working long hours not doing things that you really like because you're spending a lot of time in the office means that you end up being miserable. So flip it the other way. Doing work that is meaningful to you, okay, will make you happier. Helping others, rather than having a zero-sum game situation where I win, you win. You're right, I'm right. Win-win situations make people happier. Being able to spend time doing what you love makes you happier. Being able to spend time with people you love makes you happier. And being able to compare down rather than compare up means that there are always people who are less fortunate than you are. It means that you practice gratitude for what you have. And there, by the grace of God, go I, rather than, gosh, I wish I could have some more. There's this apocryphal story of two writers going to a party hosted by a billionaire and one writer says to the other you know we have something that this billionaire doesn't have and the other writer's attention was piqued and he said golly what can that be and he said enough yeah (laughs) So the point is, coming to realization 
that you have more than enough practicing gratitude, comparing down. As a lawyer, you're already part of the 1% on the planet. So why do you compare up and not compare down? Coming to a point where you can say, I am blessed for what I have. I am healthy. I am alive. In these days, being alive and not having COVID is a blessing. Being able to go to a restaurant without wearing a mask was a blessing that we didn't know and therefore didn't enjoy. Happiness is a state of mind. I have to say though, that some people are genetically predisposed to being happier than others. So when you look at people's personality types, for example, you will find some are sunnier, (coughs) sanguine, And some people are naturally moody. And that's understandable. And they need to find ways of addressing and seeing the half full rather than half empty, grass greener rather than not green. I mean, you've got grass. Hey. That's wonderful. You have a cup that you can fill. That is wonderful. It goes up from there. I've got several questions. Sure. The first two will be, what is meaningful work? Second, how do we define happiness? So meaningful work is any work that is aligned with your dreams, your vision, your goals which allows you to attain that dream or vision or purpose that you have mapped out for yourself. I got into law because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be the voice for the voiceless. And for a significant while, that is exactly what I did. And it was very meaningful. And it was meaningful because I could go to work and support that single parent who was being turfed out of her house. That single parent who had just lost their job and needed someone to go and fight on their behalf because they had been unlawfully dismissed. That individual who's being chased for tax that they don't owe. That individual whose benefit or benefits weren't being paid by the government because they had gotten stuck in some bureaucratic nightmare. I can give you many examples of people I supported, I championed so that they could get what was owed them. And that was meaningful for me and brought me great happiness. Definition of happiness then is being in a state of one, being able to attain what you've dreamt of and what you've always wanted for yourself. Not being in a state of lack, not being in a state of deficiency, or dependency that is neutral happiness a staticness or ecstasy that is shifting the needle from zero to ten means that i have achieved attained i'm in a state where i am blissfully obtaining all that i have dreamt of and wanted to achieve. Hap. Hap is half of happen. So something has happened to me 
or something is not happening to me which is then making me allowing me to achieve those goals put me in a position where i've always wanted to be it is in a state of bliss the absence of deficiency dependency or lack okay okay interesting would you say in your present life now you found happiness i would say that i won the genetic lottery i am by nature a person of a very sunny disposition which means that i am easily happy and i easily revert to my position of the mean which is always been sunny so for me i've won the genetic lottery for others it might not be so they might be more choleric or melancholic or not so sanguine not so yellow i am very yellow by any assessment that i undertake and so i naturally wake up in the morning and think golly i am awake and i am blessed that is not so um for many people so i'm starting off usually at a 7 out of 10 and so anything and everything else is a bonus an absolute bonus music food art travel architecture color design clothes shopping all of these just send me into the stratosphere of happiness and my mindset is that of a person who says it could be worse and so i will celebrate what i have today because nature the universe god does not owe me that blessing i am fortunate i'm not saying that i'm the wealthiest individual on the planet i'm not saying that i'm the healthiest individual on the planet i'm not the tallest strongest best looking individual on the planet i haven't achieved all my goals no far from it but i am grateful practice gratitude that i've been able to achieve some and for that i'm immeasurably thankful and you cannot you cannot be a happy person if you are ungrateful and so there's a direct correlation between gratitude and happiness some will say correlation is not causation and i will say find me a grateful person and i will show you a happy person find me an ungrateful person and i'll show you a miserable person and so i think there's a direct correlation and causation between gratitude and happiness okay how do you start the process if like everyone else i mean your day from a 7 you start probably negative 2 there's a book that i've been trying to write for the longest time and it's called the title will be even beggar's laugh and that's a profound statement how is it that you sit in your mercedes drive past the beggar and you're weeping in your mercedes and the beggar is laughing 
It means that the beggar has an angle on the world and environment around them that you have missed. And it's simply this. It could be worse. And therefore I celebrate what I have now. Have you seen that meme, black and white meme of people saying 2019 sitting in a restaurant without a mask eating 2021 you cannot enter a restaurant without a mask gosh if we were to go back to the situation of 2019 i bet most of us will now do what celebrate because we didn't know covid was coming What am I saying? I'm saying that it doesn't matter where you are. You are better off than 99% of the people around you. If you're listening to my voice right now, you are in the top 1% of the people on the planet. There is so much to celebrate for simply being in the 1% of the top 1% of the people on the planet in terms of health, wealth, accommodation, food, etc. And so I find it really difficult not to see the positive around me. I wake up in the morning and it's raining. That means my garden gets watered. I wake up in the morning and the sun is shining. That means I get vitamin D. I wake up in the morning and it's cloudy. That means I don't have to put on the air conditioning. I wake up in the morning and it's snowing. That means I get to go out and skate. I wake up in the morning and... It's dusty. It's dusty. Wow. It means I get to exercise my muscles and clean I wake up in the morning some people didn't so what are you complaining about okay Mm. (laughs) I woke up somebody didn't wow and you woke up and you walked it means your legs are firm your feet are supporting you you have no infirmity What's your excuse? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And you can hear me. Gosh, it means you're not deaf. And you can see the podcast. It means you don't have any infirmity in terms of sight. We have so much to be thankful for. Would you say on the flip side, for some people, you don't appreciate until you've lost what you have? The clarion call I am making is for us to wake up and smell the roses because you never know whether we're going to get COVID mark three. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, compare. There's no comparison. 99% of people would rather go back to pre-COVID but we didn't appreciate it then. We're appreciating it now. You know, um, Kierkegaard, philosopher, says, we live our lives going forward, but we appreciate our lives looking backwards. And I say, we should live in the moment and appreciate everything we have around us. That you see color, you hear the wind, the rain, the food, all of those are a blessing. And that is why I wake up in the morning and think, what a blast. I woke up. Yeah. To touch further on what you said on your book, Even Burgers Laugh, what will be some of the highlights in that book? It's an apocryphal almost a story that I've clobbered together but it's simply this that 
an American family live in Long Island, have everything at their feet, decide that it's time they make a difference. And so they travel to India, husband, wife, two children. The youngest is aged about eight. Children that age don't always appreciate their good fortune and complain. And they're taking to some of the slums in India, Calcutta, so that the children get to appreciate how fortunate, how blessed they are. And it doesn't take much because all around us, here in Ghana, in England, wherever you go, you'll find people either homeless, begging on the streets, or looking for shelter. And the fact that you have a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food to eat puts you in the top 10% of people in the world. At one point, there was a statistic by War on Want. It's a British charity which said that every two seconds, three people died from starvation. Yeah. Three people have just died from starvation. Yes. Three people have just died from starvation. So you can see that with the couple and their children roaming the streets of Calcutta, looking at young children scavenging for food, trying to eke out a living, the young boy who had been moaning turned round to his parent, his dad, and said, Dad, yes, even the beggars are laughing. What is it that is making them laugh? Because laughter is a sign that you're either happy or you found something funny. And the father said, It's their mindset and how they view the world. Happiness or sadness is strictly a mindset of the lens you use to view the world. If you view the world through a lens of scarcity, luck, I, me, I don't have, an entitlement mentality, then you will never be content and never be able to practice gratitude. You know, when you read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, you will see that in the midst of deprivation, pain, hurt, luck, there were people in the concentration camps who are able to laugh and make themselves happy and get through the nightmare and the horror. That was the Holocaust. You cannot underestimate the pain and suffering. And yet, there were some who were able to steal their minds to get through and they did that by saying I choose I choose to be happy in spite of my deficiency I choose to be happy in spite of my inability to attain all my goals happiness frankly like love is a choice and you can choose that and you might say to me how in god's earth can you choose that all you have to do is watch a film when it's scary you're scared but it's not real when it's sad you're sad but it's not real when they laugh you laugh but it's not real when they are happy you're happy well it's not real 
How is it that you can watch a movie and within five minutes orient your mindset to the content? Happy, sad, scary, laughter. It means that you are able to cause your emotions to reflect what you are thinking and therefore orient yourself to either positive or negative emotion. Now, let me give you an example. Say somebody is winding you up and you decide to confront that person and you start to imagine how they are going to react and you say to yourself, if they react in any other way other than I am sorry, I will be furious and immediately your emotional stance will be furious, anger. However, if you imagine that having confronted them, they're going to be sorry and apologize, immediately your emotions will track that mindset. In fact, all of us need a dose of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And you simply get that by smiling. Even a fake smile will release endorphins. Can you imagine? And a fake anger will release cortisol, which is a fear or flight chemical we release. Simply reminiscing on joyful times makes you happy. That's why it's good to journal and reminisce on the positive. Focus on the positive. Simply focusing on a negative event makes you relive the negative event and makes you sad. So focusing on the positive and rather than the negative can help you to become happy. Interesting. I mean, what state of mind do you have to be in to choose happiness? Okay. You know, being in a concentration camp is the worst. It could be that there's nothing worse than being in a concentration camp. Uh, So that's the worst case scenario. Yeah. And 110% of us are never going to experience that. And so, anything less than that is great. But there's a secret that I'd like to share. And it's this. You can never be angry when you smile, even with a fake smile. Try it. You can never be angry when you smile, even a fake smile. Because the moment you fake that smile, you're releasing endorphins, which is a happy chemical. Please, do you understand me? Simply putting on a fake smile will release endorphins and make you happy. And so, being mindful and saying to yourself, I choose to be happy. Because really, your body doesn't know the difference, for the most part, between a fake image and a real image, an imagined image and an actual image. And that is why when you imagine somebody winding you up, you get angry. And it's just imagination. And that is why When you imagine your favorite food, ice cream, suddenly you find saliva in your mouth. Just a basic exercise. Think of your most favorite food and immediately you start to get hungry. And it's not real, you're just imagining it. 
so we have the capacity to run the positive video in our heads simply a mindset or a set mind what are your current interests i love books i collect books i cannot go to a bookshop without buying a book and that's born out of my tendency to be curious i want to know i want to know more so i collect books i love cooking and so i cook very well in fact i cook better than most people i know including chefs i love color so i paint i can't draw so i do what you will call abstract impressionism i like bold kandinsky mondrian colors i love music i can't play a note i can't sing to save my life and so i've taken to listening and as a result for the last 30 or so years i've been an audiophile looking out for the best quality sound that gets me closer to the concert sound i love language i collect words but in all of this i collect books because i think it is important to upgrade one's thinking ability because the better one thinks the better one can act the better one acts the better the outcomes and so it is important that i am able to take in high quality information to influence and inspire my doing and my being for positive outcomes and that comes through reading and that comes through reading primarily but also listening and watching but primarily is through reading does reading make you happy reading makes me ecstatic you know there are some people who are able to shape words and so what you get is a concerto or an orchestra on the page someone like will durant is able to bring wit and language exquisite language together on a page and so you have a whole symphony buzzing in your head even as you read the use of the words the articulation the cadence and the content so reading makes me ecstatic there's a musicality to some words and i love that very much personally what are some of your favorite books you've come across your top 3 now you're putting me on the spot i will give you different genres so to think deeply about politics and society everyone should read Plato's Republic to learn about life philosophy language the whole mix you should do a bit of Shakespeare Hamlet Macbeth Romeo and Juliet it's just lovely to get you thinking about why we're here paradise lost John Milton absolutely superb on leadership you can't do worse than napoleon absolutely brilliant brilliant mind obama interesting individual spirituality the bible goes without saying best seller of all time philosophy 
I've already mentioned Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. But of course, Socrates is given to us mainly through the mouth of Plato. Collection of books in my library, The Story of Civilization by Will Durant, without peer. The language is beautiful. The content is amazing. I've got hard copy books, maybe 3,000 in my library. Easily, I'll take my 11 volume collection of Will Durant, The Story of Civilization. If I had to save one book, it would be my 11 volume collection of Durant, without question. And the list just goes on. I love biographies and autobiographies. I've just finished Isaacson on Henry Kissinger. Absolutely amazing. He writes very well. Yeah. Kissinger and Isaacson. They both write very well. A book to give you insight into why the world is the way it is today. Gandhi and Churchill. Sublime. It opens your eyes to why the world is the way it is today. Churchill is an interesting individual. One that one should read about. So I love biographies, autobiographies. I love history. I love philosophy. I love economics. I love psychology. I love theology. I love literature. And I am just in love with seeking knowledge. Yeah. Okay. To wrap up, what has been some of life's biggest lessons that you've learned personally in your own life? There is a British series called Monty Python. And one of those films, you have the life of Brian. And in there, there's a song. I can't sing to save my life, but I'll try. And it says, Always look on the bright side of life. Do do, do do, do do, do do. Always look on the bright side of life. Do do, do do, do do, do do. And you can go and watch the life of Brian. And I'll say, you know, it can always get worse. So thank God it isn't. That's number one. At number two is think about your thinking, metacognition. Your thinking is the foundation for where you are today. For where you are in life currently? Today, yeah. Everything is processed through your thinking. You think first, then you act second, and then you become third. And so you should think about your thinking and examine whether your thinking is helping you. And if it's not, grow your thinking. While we are at it, think about your master. Your master is whatever masters you. What is your ultimate concern? Is your ultimate concern worthy of concern? Adoration. If it's not, then reprioritize. Because if what you have called your ultimate concern is not worthy of adoration, is not worthy of worship, is not worthy of being your highest priority, then it means your ladder is against the wrong wall. So ask yourself the question, what is my ultimate concern? And is it worthy of being my ultimate concern? And for some, it is money. For some, it is sex. For some, it is status. For some, it is education. For some, it is career advancement. But you have to ask yourself, 
Is this worthy of being my highest priority, my ultimate concern? The next lesson I've learned is that your habits become you or you are your habits. So think about your habits. And while we're at it, look at your routines and ask yourself, do they help you with your vision? Of where you want to be. You must have a vision. Do they help you with your goals? You must have goals. Do they help you with your purpose in life? Everything in a shop has a purpose. You can't walk into a shop and walk out with anything in that shop without paying for it. Anything that doesn't have a purpose has no value. Everything that has a purpose has value. Everything that has value has a purpose. And my question to you, my listener, is what is your purpose? If you don't have a purpose, it means you have no value. That bottle of water in the shop has a purpose to be drunk and therefore has value. Are you telling me that you're worth less than that bottle of water? Think about it. Go find your purpose. Amazing. Wow. Very good. So, Theodore, where can we connect with you online? My goodness. I'm on LinkedIn primarily. And sometimes I'm on Facebook. But rarely, I confess... And so for the most part, it has to be by email, although latterly I'm making sure that my Instagram page is being resurrected. Truth be told, I love mentoring and coaching and sharing, but I also find that it's important to guard your time. And so, knowing that time is my most precious asset, I've spent most of that trying to provide and produce material that I can give to the world by way of books, articles, and some videos. Those books have not been published yet. They are in their final stages, different final stages. Uh, But I'll be putting some out soon. Some of it will be free for people to consume because I love to see people grow. I love growing people. Theo, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. The privilege has been all mine. I will just leave by saying, if you don't live on purpose, you will die.